What's up, guys, and welcome back to Beyond the Void Horror Podcast. That's right, it's Thursday. We're going to be doing our flesh and potatoes today. I hope that the week has treated you right. This Thursday, we're going to be talking about two movies, Cemetery Man and Zombie, in the episode we're calling Flesh of Italy. Right, so... (laughs) <laughs> this week, we're going to be talking about those two fucking movies, and uh, we kind of wanted to do something a little bit more classic, and it feels like Halloween, you know, you kind of watch the classics, in my opinion. Like, I know we watched Bur- Burbarian Sound Studio and The Editor. I can't say that name real well. I always trip up. Burbarian? Burbarian. I'll, yeah. say, I'll say it. Burbarian Sound Studio. Yeah, that's not really classics, but I feel like Halloween, you deserve to do, to do a little bit more of the classics, so we're going to go ahead and just jump right into the flesh and potatoes right now, and we'll be right back, so stick around. We're back, and we're going to do our flesh and potatoes of... Flesh of Italy. Feel like, boopy. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey I speak Italian. <laughs> and we just lost every one of our Italian oh listeners. God, probably. I'm sorry. <laughs> can we do any more stereotypical tropes? Uh, yes. Um, yes, we can. Are we going to? No. We're going to kick it off with Zombie. Zombie is a movie that came out in 1979. The story, it's also been called Zombie Flesh Eaters, Zombie 2, Island of the Living Dead, Island of the Zombie Flesh Eaters. But the story is strangers are searching for a young woman's missing father arrive at a tropical island where a doctor prescribes Viagra to everyone on the beach. No, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Where a doctor desperately searches... I missed that part. (laughs) Where a doctor desperately searches for the cause and cure of a recent epidemic of the undead. You know, when you come down with an epidemic of undead, it's pretty hard to take care of. But this guy was fighting to win it over earlier. With Viagra. Yeah. It is directed by none other than Lucio Falci, who is one of the Italian horror masters He's done many other movies. We actually did our uh, Gates of Hell trilogy 
uh, where he did The City of the Living Dead, a.k.a. Gates of Hell. He also did The Beyond, The New York Ripper, and fuck tons more. So if you don't know who Lucio Falci is and you don't know classic 80s horror, this is the guy. And this is the movie that pretty much started it all. The man. Movie was written by Elisa Briganti, who also helped write Manhattan Baby, House by the Cemetery, 1990, The Bronx Warriors, The Exterminators of Year 3000, A Blade in the Dark. She's done a lot. And she even did Ratman. Fuck, we need to watch Ratman. I forgot about that. I've fucking never heard of that. Oh my God, that movie's so weird. <laughs> Yay. We need to watch Ratman. Let's do Ratman versus Willard. Something. <laughs> Sorry. It's that, gotta that, be. That'd be fun, actually. The cast for this movie is some some people that you may know and some that you may not. Tisa Farrow is in this. She plays Anna Bowles. She is the daughter of a guy who goes missing and she can't find him, the doctor. His boat shows up on the shore and she finds it. But she's been in a lot of different movies as an actress. Not a ton of movies, and she's not really current anymore. But she was in Search and Destroy, The Last Hunter, Anthropophagus. She played Julie, which is director Joe D'Amato, who was actually one of the teachers of Michel Sovi, who is the next movie we'll talk about. There was also... Ian McCulloch, who he kind of started his career with this movie in particular. He had done about three or different, three to four different other movies before this, but this one really kind of spotlighted him, and he, you can tell he's really appreciative of it. Uh, some of the acting roles that he did were Eagles Dare, which was a pretty popular title before then. He did a lot of TV shows. He did the movie The Ghoul. He was also in Zombie Holocaust, a.k.a. Dr. Butcher, M.D. <laughs> he did some Hammer House of Horror. He did an episode on the TV series. He was in Contamination, some of the Doctor Who TV series, and quite a bit more. It also stars Richard Johnson, who is a pretty well-established uh, actor. Lucio Fulci was a big fan of him. A lot of people said that on set, he was the most respected by Lucio Fulci. And a lot of people have said that Lucio Fulci was kind of like a coach and he would yell at people. Just to give you a little bit about him, he's done over 138 different roles. Uh, he started out in the 1950s and some of the TV shows. Also in movies like A Twist of Sand, The Fifth Day of Peace, a TV series called Thriller from the 1970s. He was in Beyond the Door, which is like the Exorcist ripoff, which is actually really good. Hmm. Uh, I like that movie a lot. It's surprisingly creepy and weird. He was also in The Great Alligator, Screamers, not the sci-fi movie, by the way. He even did an episode of Tales from the Crypt, one episode in 1996. Also stars Al Cliver, who was in movies like The Beyond, Demonia, the House of Clocks, which is a TV movie that Fulci directed, which is really awesome, mm -hmm. and I would love to cover with you guys in the future. El Fantasma di Sodoma, which I still can't find and get, and I want to see it really bad. I have never seen it. A Touch of Death, and quite a few other movies. He's been in a lot of Fulci stuff. He was in Murder Rock as well. So he's been a pretty well-recycled actor. He's one of those ones that directors hang on to. Some of the makeup effects were done by Gianetto De Rossi, who did a really good job. 
Uh, he did a lot of the like pancake batter face hmm. zombies in this one. Uh, also, the music, which was one of the one of the intro song, the one kind of song that like kind of plays throughout the whole movie a little bit that I really like is by Fabio Fritzi. It's called "There's No Matter." It's what for me what really made the movie. I think stick out other than the gore scenes, obviously. But what are your thoughts on this movie? This movie is a classic. Plain and simple. Yeah. And there are so many elements of it that just work in so many ways, and it carries on through generation to generation to generation. Yeah. Like, it's still just as cool. Like, I mean, you know, now watching it, you pick up on a lot more little silly, cheesy things you didn't so much pick up on back then, you know, or back whenever you first watched it. Like, for me, it was in, like, the early 2000s when I first saw this movie, when I was first exposed to it. But, I mean, I'm a child of the 90s. I was born in 1990. Sure. So, But you still set. enjoy it. But I loved it. You know, and I was actually introduced to one particular scene from this movie first before I actually watched it. And then when I went back and watched the film in its entirety, I was super appreciative of what Fulci's done for that genre yeah. in particular. You know, it's just kind of like what George Romero has done for the genre of zombies. And this whole story that they put together and that they created, and it's something that is always going to be relevant. Okay. 50 years from now, we're going to look back on this movie and it's still going to be fucking cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, this movie was definitely made to appeal to a worldwide audience. That's what they were shooting for with this one specifically. And I think it's a strong enough picture that... Picture. Hmm. I feel like I'm like 50, 60 years old no. right now. It's a 79 picture. <laughs> um, no, but I, I feel like it's a strong enough movie that I think it, it will carry on. It's a classic. It, it doesn't go above and beyond and do anything really spectacularly different. Keeps a classic tone. This was right in the time where a lot of fucking zombie movies were starting to like bubble at the seams. Like it was like this was like uh, there was literally like a zombie movie like every fucking month you know what i mean right. uh shortly theme. after this the big theme then right and and i think Which, it's still a big theme now oh totally and it, it is totally a classic uh it's been thought of as the sequel to romero's dawn of the dead mm -hmm. which is actually not true it is not, not the sequel to it even though you know i grew up thinking the same thing about it because a lot of people said it was. This was actually written before, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually written before uh, Dawn of the Dead came out. But when Dawn of the Dead came out, they titled it Zombie in Italy. And so at the last minute, whoever the, the production person or whatever who makes the decisions on Fulci's movie, they were like, well, let's just call it Zombie 2 <laughs> and try to cash in on you know some the of that success. Of that. Right. right. Which Fulci was not cool with at all, and he didn't know it was going to happen. And he was tickled pink when it turned into, they what called it, it zombie in America. He was just so thankful for mm -hmm. it. But I really, I, I don't know, like, in a way, I really love this movie. There's elements in it that I really love. But out of the entire series, you may, you guys might be surprised. It's not my favorite. And I'm not as sure 100% if that is because of the nostalgia I have with City of the Living Dead. I feel like that's a way more creative movie, a way creepier movie to me. Oh, uh, you're not wrong. I just, I every time I always hear somebody say, oh, Zombie's like one of the best movies ever. And I'm like, mm -mm. it really isn't perfect. Like, disagree. Yeah. Like, no, I, 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 like I find that Fulci can do... He's done other movies that I fucking adore more than this one, and that is City of the Living Dead and as well as The Beyond, in my opinion, which are just way more fucking out there. That's just I, I my do. thing. But this is still something It's undeniably fantastic in its own way. 
Right. It is an iconic zombie film. Sure, absolutely. And it's one of the original forefronting fucking pioneers of fucking zombie cinema. And it's have so many elements that have never been touched again or haven't been no one's tried to recreate it. Right. Which is so fucking cool to me. Like I love well, that. Yeah, but everybody's tried to recreate technically not a living dead in some way. I don't no, mean I, like I a mean, remake. Just certain, I just mean certain like elements from this film in particular. But one scene in its entirety that has not tried to be like no one's tried to replicate or duplicate that yet. And I'm so fucking thankful for it because it's fucking cool. I think somebody did. Did but they we'll, really? They have I, to I open underground as is. fuck. It like, is probably underground as fuck. Like if and right. I haven't seen it. So probably. I do think it's funny that they a lot of people still think it is the sequel to Dawn of the Dead uh, because in a lot of ways, and this is no slam against Tom Savini, I feel like some of the the actual gore and not necessarily effects, special effects like that, but the way the zombies look are a little bit more realistic. Oh, agree. Than, oh, yes. than, than the blue zombies of Dawn of the Dead, which I adore. I love that movie. I do too, but I am in love with... With how the zombies look in this film. Totally based off of the old tribal, like, voodoo it's zombies. It's incredible. Not the zombies that Romero necessarily did. So it's a little bit different mm-hmm. than, than like, the uh, the ones you did. Even though you would get infected if you got bit, that's the typical trope that Romero brought forward. Uh, but, yeah, it's more based off the uh, voodoo zombies. And it's awesome. I, I kind of wish that they would stick more to that kind of concept a little bit. They look more earthy and natural because you think about there's the zombies that rise up from the graves. Oh, yeah. The, well, this is, yeah, because it's a That's voodoo curse. Exactly. And yeah. I love that idea. And they, they kind of like allude to that a bit. They're starting to pick up on little things like in, especially in The Walking Dead, where everyone's infected. Right. And it doesn't matter how you die. Yeah, they're getting weird, though, a little you bit. You come back as a yeah. zombie. You know, so it's just, and I love that. I like that concept. I've always liked that concept, and I've always thought that it was something cool to do because you'll never beat it. Well, and it's funny because The Walking Dead was based like directly from Romero zombies. Yeah. Because, and I can't think of his name who wrote The Walking Dead. Robert Kirkland. Uh, his name? Robert Kirkland. Yeah, I think you might be right. His whole story concept of his comic book was directly based off of the relationships and more about the people it is, it's way more about the than people. than it is about the zombies which is a very romero-esque thing yes so which people mistake all the time but anyways but these ones are a little bit more soulless they don't really have any rhyme or reason they just kill and you know there's no emotional attachment necessarily oh there's a couple of parts in this movie that they do kind of touch upon they that do. Um, like killing people that you love yes. and that without going into detail. I, I still like this movie. I mean, I still think it's a good movie. I still love it. It's still on my top collection of stuff that I will watch each year. But if I had to pick of Fulci's catalog, there's so many other movies that I would probably pick before, before it. this. It is a classic. It is a little too simple for me sometimes, but the music and the gore scenes that are in this, the couple of them that I really love, uh, kind of push me through. One in particular is just like one of the most outrageous scenes in a fucking movie period. Like not outrageous, but just like what gory and gratifying. So, um, but there is there is some trivia on this that we could touch upon to talk about to kind of mm-hmm. push us through this. I watched a lot of the commentary behind the scenes of the Blue Underground version, Blu-ray, DVD, 
Ian McCullough in on that. Plus, they had an intro from Guillermo del Toro, who is a huge fan of Fulci. I don't know why they picked him to do the intro for this movie, but maybe they're just to try to sell the DVD or yeah, Blu-ray. probably. Also, um, Ian McCullough was talking about his interactions with Fulci, and Fulci wanted him to be in the film before he knew who Fulci was, and he had seen him and where Eagles Dare, I think, I can't remember what the movie was, but he said he would pay to fly him to London, because at the time he was in Plymouth, England, when he flew into London, his wife, Ian McCulloch's wife, was there with a dead dog in her arms, and she was upset. They apparently brought the dog back to life shortly after that, but he was running around. This is when he's on a flight to go meet with the director and the producers and everybody to try to fucking meet up for this movie, and he's, like, running two hours behind because he's trying to find a vet for this dog. Oh. So, but anyway, he actually met up with them and they were like, he said he doesn't even remember any of the conversation that they had that night, like a language barrier. So he just kind of agreed to do the movie because they said they were going to pay him this amount and they were going to get him a caravan and all this other shit. And he, and he was kind of a newer, a newer actor, newish. Newish. Funny thing is, is that actually when they decided to go shoot this movie, and if you watch the movie, they shoot the first scene in New York on the water, and the zombie gets shot, and it falls in the water and everything like that, because this boat like runs adrift onto into New York waters, and they actually use real officers in that scene, yeah, like yeah. using the same suits, everything. They didn't have to have costumes, which was dope. They had yeah. their own uniforms. He was like, they came with their full <laughs> set. They were ready to go. I actually have a funny story about um, the actor that plays, or Captain Haggerty, which was the the big fat bald zombie. Oh, okay, go ahead. That they kill in the beginning. Since they were in New York City, after they finished wrapping the film, he actually went to CBGB's afterwards, which if you guys aren't familiar, this was like a big, huge fucking punk rock bar. Or back punk in the bar day, yeah. back in the day. And I mean, it, it, awesome. this was at the one G, of the, this was like Gigi Allen's like spot. Well, you know? it was like, like 79, 78, 79. So this is when the punk rock era was, started to kick off. Oh, yeah. It was huge. Yeah. And so he actually went to this bar after they were wrapped in his full zombie attire that he was <laughs> that he was dressed up in his makeup in this fucking film. And he goes in there with all this fig blood and caked on makeup and everything. And no one looked at him twice. Yeah. Because of the whole punk rock scene that was so huge. Right. Back yeah. Then, or they didn't think really getting started. And they had performers like Gigi Allen and Sid Vicious and things like that back in the day, like back well, in I, these times. I don't know about that time because but, I think Gigi Allen didn't come about until like mid 80s. Oh, yeah. You could be right. Yeah. But still. But yeah, no, it's still funny. It's an Fucking interesting crazy story. Punk rock yeah. scene. So but he went and like even the bartender like remembers not even paying him a second glance. Well, what I was going to say about Ian McCullough, though, is he when he showed up to New York to do this movie. Interesting thing about it is, is that when they showed up, he went to the embassy because you have to go through the embassy and all this other shit. And they have to like kind of monitor you and see where, why you're there, just like they would nowadays. And he was like, oh, well, yeah, I'm here to shoot a movie for variety in new york and they were like well we don't have any movie being shot here in new york on record they were like you need to go back and talk to whoever it is see what you're doing so he went back and they were like oh yeah you shouldn't (laughs) have said that because they were shooting illegally Mm -hmm. and so they didn't tell anybody so he went back and he was like well actually i'm going to be shooting a movie in the caribbean 
So I'm just passing through here on my way to the Caribbean. And they were like, Mr. McCulloch, mm-hmm. don't fucking shit me. Yeah. <laughs> we, know we know what the fuck's going on. And they wrote on his passport, like, does not, not allowed to work in this country or whatever the fuck. But then he went and when he showed up to work, because he did it anyway, all of the officers were working, like off-duty on officers were working on an illegal film. Mm-hmm. So he thought it was really funny, and I thought that was kind of interesting it to point interesting. out. It is interesting. And they save so much money on costuming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what was really interesting is that Ian McCulloch never saw 100% of the movie. While he was doing the commentary, he had never seen. He was like doing a commentary with one of the guys from the Diabolic DVD uh, distributor company, but he had never seen the full movie. <laughs> so he was experiencing a lot of the gore scenes for the first time that he had never seen because this movie was thrown in the video nasty pile. It was also considered an X rating film and all this other shit. I don't think they, at the time, I think this was like 2012 when this version got released, but I think the DVD copy was like even before that. So they still hadn't even released the fully uncut yet. So it was like the first time that he had ever fully seen it. He said his wife went to go see the movie in the theater and left in the first five, ten minutes because she couldn't handle it. <laughs> oh, I thought pussy. that was funny. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's a different time, you know? I guess, yeah. <laughs> also, uh, in the movie, you see them show up at a news reporter's office. The guy in the office is actually Lucio Fulci. He mm-hmm. is the editor-in-chief. And the funny thing is, is that that whole scene was done on the basis that a janitor, a literal janitor at the place that they were shooting, gave them the okay to shoot in this office. And they all walked into one of the meeting rooms (laughs) where Rupert Murdoch was in there. And he told them to go fuck themselves, basically. (laughs) And they were like, what? Like, he literally said, oh, fuck off. They all left, and apparently the janitor that gave them the okay to shoot that scene got fired. Oh, shit. So they literally really? just, like, gorilla shot there in the middle of them taking a meeting. That's awesome. Isn't that crazy? That's so awesome. I love it. It's so punk rock. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you got to try to... I just... If I was a director, I would be a little weirded out trying to shoot in some other country like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know if I would have the balls necessarily to do that. I don't know. I probably would have. And another country? I'm not from here. Fuck it. (laughs) In another country? I don't know. I probably would. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It's just like when I'm in a different state and I go out partying at a bar. I'm just like, I ain't from here. Fuck (laughs) y'all. I do whatever I want. (laughs) No one's going to remember this. (laughs) Well, you know what's funny, too, about this movie is that Ian McCulloch said that that he thought that it was going to be... I think that they all kind of knew that this was going to be a big movie and that it was going to be really successful. So directly while he was working there, literally he worked on the on this movie for like two months or so. And after he was done, he went on to make Zombie Holocaust, a.k.a. Dr. Butcher M.D., a.k.a. Queen of the Cannibals, amongst many others. Dr. Butcher M.D. <laughs> but he, he went on to make that movie within two months after shooting this. And they actually used the same scene area in zombie in that movie as well. So like the whole church mm-hmm. end scene was the same thing. I supposedly. Supposedly. That's yeah. what he said in the commentary, so I thought it was kind of interesting. That's awesome. Do you know the scene when they're out in the boats and they're like the girls like getting naked yeah. and it's just like obligatory like naked chick? Yes. 
who decides to go scuba diving completely naked. Completely and, nude. Except yeah. for, well, not completely, because she was wearing a bikini she bottom. bikini bottom. Yeah. Well, it's a string, th- like a thong. Yeah, and they bottom. show her hooking up the belt, like, to her between vagina. her legs. Yeah, yeah. And like, oh, <laughs> Jesus. And, and you just see Ian McCulloch, like, smiling. With his glorious bald spot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he talks about his bald it's spot. Beautiful. He was like, you know what's funny? Like, when they showed up for the, the shoot, he had lost a lot of hair during the time and they were like what happened to your hair <laughs> so he said that there was a lot of camera Aww. tricks to try to block out his... not enough <laughs> yeah i know i saw it quite a few times but he he was unabashedly pointing it out so oh, this whole time i'm like look at that bald spot yes <laughs> but the chick with the the diving kit and she jumps in apparently she wasn't a really good swimmer i can see it and compressed air when it's low on the tank the tank just becomes heavier yes so she couldn't swim really well so as soon as she jumped in ian mccullough and some other guys had to jump in to save her because she almost drowned poor thing i know right learn to swim better well why would you not know that or ask why would you like i don't know why you wouldn't like prepare yourself better for that shit like you know what's in your script you have to do it so fucking learn to swim <laughs> i don't know but i mean i've, I've never <laughs> swam with a tank either it's not it's you're underwater it's not you all know that what much, i don't know when you're an actor and you're trying to get your break you know what i mean you do some pretty it. crazy yeah, shit do stupid things make stupid choices you'll suck dicks you'll suck a whole lot of dicks you'll like let let older like what's you'll that whole weinstein thing put, going on right now put stuff in your butts Dude, that was Harvey I'm Weinstein. Not even to that. Oh my god! Like I couldn't literally, I couldn't like open my eyes without tripping over an article about no, Harvey like, Weinstein. It's, it's, it's all over, and I've literally read about none of it. I've tried not to. It's not that I'm trying to like be dismissive and make it like a, not a big deal. It's just like it was just impossible for me to find news to post to you guys without tripping over one of those articles. It was like Harvey Weinstein farted once in a hotel at this place location. And this one person heard it. And then somebody saw Harvey Weinstein walking into a McDonald's. Holy shit. Like, like Jesus Christ. Right. Anyway. It's a nightmare. He's a dirt bag and nobody knew it. Apparently. Supposedly. Nobody knew it. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Can we talk about the gloriously bad dubbing in this movie? Oh, yeah. Because it's amazing. Well, yeah. They had to do what they had to do. Um, which is something that I like didn't notice when I first saw it a million years ago. Yeah. Like I didn't pick up on it that much, but rewatching it recently, I'm just like, God damn, that's bad. Well, all the British <laughs> like, actors pretty much spoke Yeah. Like their normal accents, normal But I mean it's pretty typical with most like Italian horror films or even a lot of like English horror films that are Fuck yeah, they're trying to do it for cheap as they can. Exactly. So, like, half of the cast speaks English and half the cast purely speaks Italian. Right. And especially with this film, that's exactly what it is. So, it's it's a half and half. You know, and so they 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 take their actors, which is great because I I feel like it goes more to show to their credibility as actors and actresses is where they can still pick up on all these cues even though they don't understand the language. Right. Well, but they're still able to act in the scenes right. and bring their lines across in a believable way. Well, Ian was mentioning that, and some the the guy from the Diabolic DVD was like, "How do you know? Like, if they're speaking pure Italian, how do you know when your line is ready?" He said, "Well, I would just literally watch until they're." Their lips stop moving. Yeah, and then go. And like, then go. If you if you've done your work in memorizing the script the way that you're supposed to, because that's your job. Right. You know which character's speaking 
when that character stops speaking and then when your character is supposed to start speaking at the end of whatever they're supposed to say. So, I mean, I don't know, but I still feel like that makes it more difficult when there's language barriers. And I mean, that's a language fucking barrier. Well, they said it was really challenging. He said that everybody tried to like hang out and communicate. But for the most part, he said, you know, and it wasn't because nobody just nobody wanted to not be around the other person because it was just because they couldn't speak the language and people were just like having a hard time. So. Well, you also have to remember, though, that this movie was going to be put out in, like, multiple languages, too. Right. So they really weren't worried about it. They were shooting for the stars on this one to make it a big budget, like, worldwide picture. Right. But there's some people that there's one um, script writer, like, in particular, that had his name taken off of the film. Which I'll say his name completely wrong, but it's Dardano Sacchetti. But he's a scriptwriter who chose to have his name taken off the credits completely mm-hmm. because his father actually passed away like shortly before this. Right. And he, he, as a result for his loss, he felt uncomfortable about it, about being connected with a movie that was about the dead returning to life. Right. Okay. So I'm kind of like, well, that, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> like, why you got to uh, be so sensitive? Different like, morals, different ethics. Absolutely, and I feel like that's ha- probably has to go with his religious background. I'm sure. Maybe, yeah. Um, has a lot. He to thought do it was with disrespectful it, he, to his he father. He felt it being disrespectful, and I get it. But at the same time, like in retrospect, I'm sure he probably looks back on it and going, "Fuck, should have kept my name on that." But he still ends up getting credit because some people like delve that f- deeply into it, so they know he was a part of it. So they want to make sure that, like, oh, by the way, right, like us, and they're like, "Oh, hey, there's a little this little snippet of this person that he was involved in this movie, even though the name's not on the credits." But you'll still find it somewhere else if you dig deep enough. But anyway, I don't know. I would want my name to be on this forever. <laughs> like, yeah, but I mean, at the me. time, this is a subversive <laughs> flick. They were really right. trying to reach. I get it. Like, to I do can... some pretty crazy shit that most of the world wasn't doing. Exactly. So it's they just wanted to. I don't know. Fulci always had a vision. He always had an idea what he wanted. He he was very strict with what he wanted to do. And he, even though he didn't really speak a lot of English, he entrusted in the people that he worked with. To make it happen. Right. He mm-hmm. knew how their style was and that, I don't know, maybe he just got lucky. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, well, let me ask you this. What are some of your favorite scenes? So, favorite scenes. Okay. Well, let's talk about the iconic shark scene. Right. Which I feel like anybody, even if you haven't seen this movie, you've probably seen a clip from this scene shared on the internet somewhere. Right. Um, Which is this glorious moment after, what's her name, takes her top off, Glorious perm girl. That's all I know. She's got a great perm. Yeah. Um, she takes her top off and puts on the scuba gear with her string bikini bottoms and really tight vagina strap and like jumps in <laughs> to go fucking scuba diving to take some pictures or whatever the fuck she's doing. And all of a sudden she sees this shark, gorgeous tiger shark, which I think was probably pregnant at the time because it looks like they're pregnant. I have or- no idea. To me, it looks like a pregnant female. I could be completely wrong. All I know is but, that it's a, probably an 8 out of a 10 on sexy scale. Uh, yes, gorgeous. At least. All I know is that it's a beautiful tiger shark. <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous. I love sharks. If you haven't caught on to that yet, it's my favorite animal in the whole entire world. Um. Anyways, beautiful specimen. So she's, she gets scared, obviously, of the shark swimming towards her. She's like, I don't want to fucking die under here by the shark. I don't want to get eaten, blah, blah, blah. So she's trying to make her way back up to the boat. And then there's this cue of this fucking glorious zombie. <laughs> Who just happens to be down there Who's hanging out. Just there. <laughs> like He literally is just there and comes up and all of a sudden decides that he wants to eat this shark. Right. <laughs> Well, he, yeah, he fucks, he, like, gets his attention diverted. 
Yes, he, like from the girl right. to the shark. Because right? she puts that fucking what's it that fucking uh, coral reef. Yes, she's in, in his face. Yeah, yeah. She takes a piece of like, the coral ah, and she it rubs it me. in the zombie's face. Like the zombie's gonna fucking care. Well, it's funny because it almost looks like it. It's real and it hurts. Yeah, it does. And it's like he's like, ah, get that fucker was, away from I was, me. I was trying so hard to find out if that was actually a real piece of coral because it looks like it, it is. It does. It really does. And I'm like, that's alive. Like if like, that goes in your face, just... like that's alive. Yeah. Ow, stingy. Yeah, that's stingy <laughs> as fuck. Like, sweet Jesus. Jesus. Like, don't kill the fucking. That's Nemo's land. Don't kill it. <laughs> anyway, and I, I did really look to see if I could find out if that was actual. <coughs> coral or not but i i couldn't find anything yeah i but didn't hear anything about it either. it does look legitimately real so she gets away and then all of a sudden the shark is like circling you know this zombie whose makeup is still fucking pristine yeah they underwater did which i love um part of the glorious caked on caked on caked on caked on effects that they did for this film so then this beautiful scene ensues of this zombie trying to eat this shark and there's like this cutaway part where you just see it rip a piece off of the shark and start eating it, right? And there's, like, this big sploosh of blood, but that's the only sploosh of blood that you see this entire scene. Even though he supposedly ripped this big chunk out of the shark, yet that's all the blood you're seeing. But either way, it was awesome. They didn't have CGI and and things like that back in the day, and they definitely didn't have the budget for animatronics. Yeah. So this was an actual tiger shark i think probably the last bit of that actual scene was the, the actual handler for the shark that plays the zombie what i really loved about that scene is like i mean it took romero till land of the dead to like kind of cover that territory right where zombies would be able to survive underwater because they're just reanimated but the weird thing about this movie though is is because he's like the most animated zombie yeah in the entire movie. He is. So it is a little flawed in the bigger scope or mythos of this movie in particular, but still very unique and original for its time. Right. So, and this is still a concept that's not really played with at all. Like they just recently kind of played with that on The Walking Dead. Well, yeah. And it was fucking cool. Well, they, they do the a lot of homage to zombie movies. Oh, big time. Yeah, I don't know. That that whole scene to me is just, it's super different, and it's not something that I've seen people try to recreate. And if they have, like I said earlier, it's right. got to be super underground. Did you hear how they did that scene, though? Like, in particular, why he was able to get away with that whole scene? Like, the trainer? Oh, no. He overfed the shark? Oh, yeah, he, he tranquilized it, too. Yeah, he also sedated it, over-sedated it after overfeeding it. Uh, so that it wouldn't fucking attack him. That's a good call. Because it's one it of the uh, tiger sharks are one of the most aggressive sharks that yes. you can find. They're extremely aggressive. So and then we're you know it's always the great white because of jaws, but tiger sharks are actually one of the most aggressive breed. Great whites are actually really docile. They just are viewed as to being super aggressive because of their size. They're huge, yeah. And a lot of the attacks are attributed to great whites, but because they're fucking gigantic. But right. honestly, the the most deadly shark is a bull shark okay but that's because it can go into both fresh and salt water but anyways this is not the shark show wish it was because we could go forever yeah we've been talking about sharks for a while i love sharks guys let's talk <laughs> let's talk about one of my favorite scenes which yes. is the eye gouging scene mm -hmm. it is the probably notorious fucking gore scene and all pretty much i think it's one of the top fucking gore scenes in a movie it's glorious uh how they did it it is brutal the way 
that they did it is so long. It is like a really long gore scene, first of all, like just first and foremost. But it's like the slow build up to it of her trying to smash the fingers and then the door getting busted through and the zombie grabbing her head and pulling her towards a fucking splinter of wood to her eye and then watching it slowly pierce the pupil and then not just pierce the pupil because like most people probably would have stopped there. No, 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 not Lucio Fulci, not Romali. He fucking just kept pushing it and then the splinter breaks off into her eye as she's screaming and that is some of the most horrific eye scene that is one of the most famous eye gouging scenes in all of horror history even if you don't agree that it's the best you have to agree it's one of the biggest oh for sure so I've heard other people argue it, you know, oh, well, this one, like, uh, what was that Death Trap movie where they slice the girl's eye open with a knife and it, yeah. like, pours out all this, like, gelatinous, the, the like, gel. clear yeah, shit. Jelly. Yeah, uh, I mean, what? that one's a big one, too, but. I hate shit with eyes. That one, just the buildup and the, the, the way that they did it, and the, it was like this nice, subtle dance of macabre. Oh, it's excellent. I don't know how to explain it's it. It's absolutely fucking excellent. That is the the best gore scene, I think, in the movie. Yes. To me, personally, I think that's what carries this movie and gives it its that exclamation point. That and when the zombie rips out Perm Girl's throat. Right. Oh. That was a good scene. I have that one written down as one of mine, too. Holy fuck. Because she's gurgling like yes. a fucking... Like, awesome. And it's like in slow-mo, so it's like... the like You can tell that she had to like do uh, one and a half times the amount of gurgling just to make that fucking whole scene, but it was fucking badass. Yeah, the eye-gouging scene's my favorite as far as, like, gore-wise, mainly because it's, like, a slow burn moment. Right. And I hate anything to do with eyes. Freaks me the fuck out. Do you know that the only scene I can imagine that would be close to the the throat gurgling is from another... I said this in the last episode... But brain dead, dead alive, where the fucking nurse's head goes back and you can hear her fucking throat gurgling. Yeah. Which is fucking hilarious. I fucking, that's one of my favorite things. Like watching her head swing back and forth. But yeah, the gurgling is pretty. It's awesome. It's gnarly as fuck. The scene, too, where he's just pulling the piece of the throat, you know, out. And like you can, you know, I mean, you can kind of see that it's like a caked on extra prosthetic piece that they're ripping off, but it's still fucking cool. Oh, yeah, dude. And and, and on on like VHS or DVD, you didn't really notice it all that much. You could tell it was fake. Blood. (laughs) Like just entirely from to her toes. And it's it's awesome. Right. I love it. But the the gurgle. Yeah. The The only other scene that I can think of that I, I is the cover zombie scene where it comes up out of the ground before it rips her throat out. Yeah. So just the iconic scene of that coming up was pretty cool in particular. Oh, no, I actually really love that. The last bit that they show before they change scenes. This is oh, after, yeah. you know, she's dead and they move on. You just see her eyes open laying and on the leave. ground. Well, no, it's it's actually this cutaway scene where they show um, all of the multiple zombies rising up from the graves okay in that moment 
Uh, it's like they're supposed to be like the conquistadorian zombies or something, right? And yeah, so well, yeah, they're the, Spanish. The Spanish ones that they're playing yeah. on, but you see them all start slowly kind of rising and they cut back and you see, you know, like there's like one in the foreground and then there's all these like, different Yeah, but they walk the like, yeah, like really but slow. But you just see them coming up like out of their graves. Right. These like, makeshift graves Pretty that they cool. have. And it was really cool. Like the, the camera shot on that in particular was in the, it was, it was gorgeous. It they was do, interesting. They, another Italian film that they do that with is in uh, Burial Ground, which I've wanted to watch that now and like Nightmare City and all these other fucking like every time I watch Italian fucking movies, guys, all I want to do is fucking just keep watching Italian movies because I just love the plain, simple, the gore, the everything. It just makes me want to go into it. And it's like, I love zombie films, but even though they're like so overdone now, oh, yeah. it's ridiculous. But my end thoughts on this, I would say I love the film. But as I mentioned before, I'm a big fan of Fulci. It's surprisingly lower on the totem pole as far as like my favorite Fulci films. Um, unlike most people who always name off Zombie first. I was first introduced into City of the Living Dead. That will always by far be my favorite, even past the beyond, because it's so fucking disturbing to me watching somebody throw up their own organs. Um, but like it just I've never seen anything like that I lost my mind when I watched that I was like blown away even with that said this still has some of the more iconic scenes in cinema but that eye gouging scene is probably one of the most gnarly eye scenes I've ever seen yes it's fantastic so I I still have to give it to that just the whole pure logistics of the watching it break off is just so fucking disturbing even if it's not real you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so what about you I agree with you as this is not my favorite okay of his works however it's still iconic it's classic it's something that you you sh- people tell you they love zombie movies and they start rattling off more like recent films that they enjoy that they love but they don't know anything about classics this is one that you show them or this is one that you bring up in conversation okay and i not you know not just for iconic scenes such as eye gouging scene or the shark scene or even the you know the throat ripping outs and but just like the camera work in this is incredible very very artsy and like a lot of like, what i love about him and his work in particular is how he pays attention to all these little subtle details that i pick up on that i love Okay. And one of my favorite moments is right in the beginning um, when you're first introduced to, you know, the balding fat zombie on the boat. He's coming at the police officer, but it cuts to just his face and he's like just his head's just in front of the sun in the background. Oh, okay. And this it's this gorgeous coloring that you see all the blood and the like gore that's caked on his face. Okay. And just this weird like halo that's created around him from the sun in the background and just all the, it's so fucking cool. I would consider that not to say that not to take away from Fulci, but he just, it's one of those shots that just comes to you. I don't think he planned it, but he was like, that's the one. Well, I I think that that's how it ended up being shot. You can't plan something like that. No. And I, I think that that's ended up happening. Right. And they said, holy shit, like that looks incredible. Or maybe they fucking did it. I like when he jerks and then like falls in the water all weird. Oh, yeah, it was hilarious. (laughs) He's like, eh. I laughed so fucking hard. It's like the only zombie in the whole fucking movie that reacts (laughs) to fucking getting shot in the chest. Exactly. But I don't know. That that part to me, like, I'll always remember that because it's just visually stunning. Okay. And I, I pick up on a lot of, like, little weird things like that, but I don't well, know. Well, a lot of people will say that he's not a really good director. There's there's a lot of people who will say that. Things like that make me 
make me second guess that for people like people I, the movie's that still being that. played in 2017 Fuck so yeah, i mean we're talking about it so it's obviously done some good it'll still be getting played and watched 50 years from now so 40 years over 40 like almost 40 years now yeah so it's gonna keep going on and on and on well we got another movie that we were talking about and it's gonna be cemetery man why don't you go ahead and tell us about that Brittany? um i'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Cemetery Man, which was actually released in 1994. If you're not familiar with the movie Cemetery Man, something is causing the dead to rise from their graves as flesh-eating zombies. Cemetery custodian Francesco Della Morte grows tired of killing them all for the second time. However, the town politicians won't listen to him, so Francesco is on his own. One day, he falls for a beautiful woman whose husband has recently died. But their affair is tragically interrupted by zombies, sending Francesco into a tailspin of madness and woe. Nice. Yes. You know right. what the uh, other names were, right? Uh, yes. Uh, Della Morte, Della Moore. Right. Which, which is actually the name of the novel. Yes. But I just wanted to point Woo! out. Sorry. <laughs> it means death. His, his mother's name was Della Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's Della Morte, which means death. And his mother's name was Love. Love. Right. Which is the biggest theme in this whole movie. But yes. Continue on. His, and, and his name is Francesco, which means Francis, St. Francis, St. Francis of death. Yes. De he, la Morte. I, he explains that, too, which I think is really cute. I think it is, too, yeah. I loved it. I, I don't know. I liked how we did that, because he's like, ah, silly Americans, let me explain this to you. <laughs> Why does this make sense? But anyway, um, so this movie was directed by Michelle, uh, is it? Sovi? Sovi, yeah. But they, they they also say, like when I was watching some of the uh, extras and stuff, they were saying so uh, Mikel. Mikel? Sovi. Well, we're American as fuck, so. I'm just saying, like, we I. We apologize ahead of time if Michelle we're is a male's names. name in France as well as in oh, Italy as no, well. No, absolutely. So. I just, I'm going to apologize if And I... he is a man, uh, by the way. Yes, it is a guy. It is a man. He's also directed such movies as The Church. Yes. The, AKA uh, Demons 3. <laughs> Demons 3. Yeah. Um, The Devil's Daughter. And he also did Dario Argento's World of Horror, which was a documentary. And Stage Fright. Um, and Your Face. D- stage Fright is pretty cool. <laughs> the pretty old cool. Stage Fright is better than the new one. Um, So this had two writers actually credited to this film. The first, obviously, would be who wrote the novel, uh, which is... Tiziano Salavi? Sclavi. Sclavi? Wow, I can't read my own handwriting. Tiziano Sclavi. Who wrote uh, other novels or books wrote were uh, Nero. Also, Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. Yeah. And uh, Dylan, the TV series. And Dylan Dog was a comic book. Yes. It was a popular comic book in Italy. Yes. Um, And the other writer credited to this was Gianni Romoli who also did Devil's Daughter, another movie called Harem Soiree, which sounds like a really fucking good time, and I want to watch it. Um, and another film called Another Woman's Face, mm-hmm. which I've never heard of before, but I want to check out purely because of the name. Right. Like, I don't even like care what it's about. Like wearing some other But it face. sounds fucking cool. And the only other movie that I can think of that, that he wrote for was Trauma. Oh, yes. You're right. That's actually kind of a... I mean, I wouldn't say, like, popular, but it... Yeah. But he did yeah. like he did the screenplay in this movie. Uh, he took Dylan Dog and Della Morte Della Moore and blended them together. Yeah, it's like this beautiful little marriage. Right. Um, surprisingly, this film had a budget of estimated four million dollars. <laughs> yeah, and I I looked into this a couple of different ways because I felt like this was wrong. Um, 
but Meh. yeah. In the United States, opening weekend it didn't do very well. It did less than thirty thousand dollars in the box office overall. The gross in the United States was two hundred fifty-three thousand dollars, which is considered a flop, essentially, especially with a budget that large, or supposedly that large. But it stars Mr. Rupert Everett, yeah, <laughs> who played Francesco della Morte. Who is in A Midsummer's Night Dream. He also did a voice in Chronicles of Narnia. He also did a voice for Shrek 3. I don't know. I just Two kinda, and three. And two and three. I yeah. kind of just found some... He was Prince Charming. I kind of just found some funny little tidbits for him that maybe some people didn't realize that he did. Right. Um, he was also in Hysteria. And most importantly, My Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> he did Shakespeare in Love, which was another one that like girls I, go wild for. I, Shakespeare yeah. love. So yeah, you're right. Um, it's like and then, cream panty fucking movie. More recently, he was in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar, Peculiar Children. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Which I loved. And I know a lot of people talked a lot of shit about that movie and I'm just, whatever, it was great. He also did an episode of Black Mirror, by the way. Did he really? Mm-hmm. Which, the I don't remember season? the name. I didn't write it down. I think it was like early on. Oh. If you watch some of the early ones. All right, I need to go back into that. He's done a lot of TV I think stuff. it might have been the one where he, where they like, where those eye pieces where they can like capture their memories. Oh, neat. I think it's that one. I could be wrong though, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I don't, I remember that one. I don't remember him in that, but I'll, I don't know. I'm going to look into it now. Yeah. Also stars Francois Hadi Lazaro, who plays Nagi. Not, um, he was also in City of Lost Children. Booyah. Um, Brotherhood of the Wolf, and he was in Dante One. Right. Many French films. And a lot of, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of picked some that I felt like our listeners would be a little bit more acquainted with versus most. No, yeah, those are big A lot ones. of these actors are, um, and actresses from this film are in a lot of Italian or French films. Right. Yeah, well, I think primarily. him in particular are mostly French. I don't yeah. know why he did this Italian. They just must have liked him. But he was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> He's so great. Um, it also starred Anna Falci, who was she. Who is, she didn't have as big of a um, acting career as I thought that she should have. Right. I mean, not to say that she's brilliant in this, because she's not, but she's she's gorgeous. And I felt like she should have been a little bit more prominent in her field. But she was in movies such as Celluloid. Which is probably the biggest one other than this. I feel like. Besides this is the biggest of of her career. Well, Um, she may have done some TV shows that were real popular. She she did a lot of TV TV stuff, especially in Italy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of where she got her start. Right. Honestly. And then. She was a model. Did you know that? I can believe that because she's beautiful. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to do it because she said she felt like she was so animated. Oh, yeah. She was like, I can't do modeling because I'm too animated. I got to do something with like. Acting. Acting so I can say things. Right. Yeah, which I understand. Um, she was in a short film called Silent Night, and then another movie called Poor But Beautiful, hmm. which I'm I like, haven't seen that. Nah, I haven't either. I haven't heard of it. <laughs> I um, had a crush on her, though, when I saw this movie when I was younger. Yeah. I was always, like, infatuated with her. I was like, I don't know why. <laughs> well, she's gorgeous. I get it. When I was younger, you know. Um, it also starred Fabiana Form- Formica, mm-hmm. who played Valentina. She was actually in the Italian movie, the Amanda Knox murder trial. Okay. It was a TV movie. No, I'm not sure. Familiar um, with that one. And she's also in another film called Nero Wolf and Don Matteo. Which was also written by Tiziano. Yes. Uh, Sclavi. 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 Yeah. And then last but not least, they have Mickey Knox who played um, Marshall Staniero. Staniero? Straniaro. Straniaro. Oh my god. I know, just being. I need to be more Straniano, Straniano. Who is most wildly known for his roles in Ghoulies 2, Godfather 3, mm-hmm. and then he's also in another movie called Ghosts Can't Do It. 
He was in the good and the bad and the ugly. He's in a lot of shit. <laughs> I'm just bringing these up because I was surprised by him. No, I know. I was too. <laughs> Stage Fright. He did the Frankenstein Unbound, the Roger Corman movie. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he passed away uh, 2013 at 91 years of age. God damn. Yeah. But he was actually pretty cool in this movie. I liked him in that. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of really, really cool... A lot of talent in here, I think. Uh, yeah, fuck yeah. I completely agree. Because it's like a weird movie. Oh, it's a super weird movie. <laughs> like, so leading into that about how we think this is a super weird film, I actually really want to know what your favorite scenes are and what your thoughts... Oh, not your favorite scenes, but I want your thoughts. Oh, yeah, sure. I want your primary thoughts first. Um, Personally, I like the idea of this guy who's stuck between death and life. Uh, there seems to be this like... He's like, he's, he teeters on the world of the living and the dead, love and death. He's kind of like a prisoner of this world in a way. Uh, so he's kind of like this torn soul. And he's also its keeper in some sort of weird way. Like, And it's almost like you kind of get the idea that death's trying to pull him into this job while life is trying to push him into this job as well. Like his love, his life, all this happenstance shit that happens it's and I don't know. It kind of feels like the movie is like about taking risks and living, dying, and loving. Like that's the 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 movie in a nutshell. I feel like the central theme. Yeah, it totally is. I tried to try to break it down and like sit and think about why these certain things were happening, and like I think it's just a tortured soul kind of thing. Uh, it's almost like you. It's like no matter what he loves or what he tries to do, the only thing that keeps bringing him back to anything is death in this weird way. So I thought that it it was pretty cool. It's very deep in some ways. It's stylish. It's funny. It's a zombie film in a very unique way. uh, Yeah. Kind of comical, fun way in a way, but also kind of serious and deep in another. I think it's it's just really unique. And it it, kind of has like a, a deeper meaning to uh, it Christina actually pointed out something that I thought was really interesting while we were watching it, and that it's kind of like the zombie death version of kind of like American Psycho. Oh yeah, like oh yeah, holy shit! Like if you think about it, it really is. And I don't know if the book, the chick who wrote American Psycho, I can't think of her name offhand, if it was written before or after this, but it'd be kind of an interesting comparison to think about. And I think Christine is totally on the nose. She's spot on, yeah. Because it's like he's damned to do bad or good, like no matter what he does. So, but uh, I don't know. I just, I just, I like the comparisons of life, death, and love. Yeah, I agree. For me, it like starts out with this really cool approach. Mm-hmm. And then it just like shit gets real fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> like it goes off the fucking rail and just they just are like, fuck it. Like we're going to throw some fucking weird shit in here and we're going to do whatever we want. Right. But still, it it all kind of comes full circle in the end. In a way, I feel like this is his slow but sure loss of grip from reality. Sure. And he had that connection to love for the first time that he ever felt with this woman and then she's dead and then she keeps coming back to life but in these different forms and then he's trying to kill her permanently in a way but then also trying to escape the reality that is his life because he doesn't want to be that person anymore he doesn't want to do that anymore but yet he ends up still being stuck there i don't know it's it was it was crazy and it wouldn't uh, the the events wouldn't take without ruining it 
the events wouldn't have taken place had it not been for these crazy death experiences that he did not control or want or need. So in a way, it was like death was toying with him. Right. and It was showing him love, but then taking it away from him. Yeah. And there's, at every moment he could think of. And there's still no like explanation as to why people are coming back from the dead. Right. It's I don't just, think there needs to be. There but, doesn't. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. Like, it, there's, well, this, there's no need to explain why this is happening. And well, no they one do really make that cares. one line in the movie where the death character, like the reaper sort of thing, is like the, the living are just walking dead. Yeah. Or like waiting to die kind of thing. Right. It's like a pivotal moment where he starts to go crazy and just says, fuck it. Yes. Like, now awesome. he's just like, let's fuck with the experiment. I don't give a fuck what happens anymore. Right, and he, he, he like, bends reality. Right. And he tries to see what he can get away with or what he can do. Well, he's frustrated and, with and, everything. Yeah, and it's it's really, really awesome, kind of, and it sounds horrible to say it, but it, it's awesome to watch his deterioration, in a way. Yeah. You know, but how they do it, it's so st- it's so stylized mm-hmm. and it is really smooth. Yeah. They do no, a really great job. And there's a lot of really cool scenes in this movie. Like this whole movie to me, like even though it goes way off the fucking rails at some at some points and just gets kind of ridiculous, it still comes back and it almost like apologizes for that towards the end. And it and it it makes it kind of makes sense again. I don't know. It's it's, it's kind of like it, a it's fable. It's still weird, a, but yeah, it's got like that Guillermo del Toro style feel, but a little bit more silly. It Italian does. Version. It, like, well, if you like, like style wise, it's well, it's got the romance, which is a big Guillermo thing. Uh, oh yeah. Like even if it's just like the innocent romance of like innocence and death, yeah, like well, the way they, that they play with it, and they have the whole innocence romance, right. You know that's hinted on in that. In this, I, I would not be the least surprised that Guillermo del Toro is a fan of this movie. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, it may not be the way he would have done it. He probably would love to do um, a remake of I it. I bet you he'd do it better. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think he would. I Mikkel don't know. I, I kind of suck his dick. So, Mikel or <laughs> Jesus, I do. I'm sorry. I love him. Mikel or Michelle Sovi. Uh, it's a pretty interesting guy. A lot of people don't know, or maybe they do know, and they just don't realize that he's also a director, but one or the other. He used to be like an actor, and then he started working on the productions. Uh, he started working his way up and working his way up. And some of the acting roles that he did, he was the guy in the, the weird half mask and demons. He was in City of the Living Dead and the guy in the um, car with the girlfriend that's on a date. And they see the priest and she starts puking out her organs. And he gets the back of his head popped open with the fucking brains popping out. Um, but he really worked his way up. Like he did not start out as like, oh, I'm a director because I'm, I have a name. Like he wanted to learn the process and he learned from some pretty big names. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking like Joe D'Amato, Dario Argento. And he said that he also looked up to Terry Gilliam, uh, as one of his directors that really inspired him. He said he called him actually a visionary poet. So, which, I mean, Terry I Gilliam's work is definitely very poetic and yes. pretty and kind of fable-esque. So I can see where he's getting all these, like, little touches from all of them. Yeah, and I, I can see how they how you can kind of view it that way. Right. Because it plays out that way, essentially. Sure. But then I can also see, and I love that she pointed this out, like, Christina's point. 
Oh, the American Psycho connect? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, now I'm just like, I'm really stuck on that kind of Yeah, she's right. Like, I, when she damn. said it, I was like, you're right. Holy shit. Like, it, awesome. It's this fucking really cool sp- perspective yeah. to look at this movie. Um, but I mean, are, did you have any favorite scenes in particular? Well, or I, any, like, I have trivia? a lot of trivia, actually. Yay. Um, actually, there's um, quite a bit of things. First of all, I wanted to mention that... Uh, Something about Sovi that I really admire uh, that that I heard him say, and he was like, you know, my goal was to be an assistant director for Dario Argento, and I became that. And so he was like, being a director, like a real legit director after that was not something I thought about when I did become a director. He's like, I just got the assistant director. I made it where I wanted to be. I was content. I was happy with life. And I was able to be able to make movies thereafter and learn my strengths and weaknesses. And he was like, unfortunately, I was part of that wheelhouse, that factory of people in Italy who were making like really strong film. And he just got kind of brought up in it. And, and in a way, you know, like I feel like I probably should have given him more credit Because he's kind of like the underdog guy, in a way. You know, he's also a fan of the material. And and some of his later work, I'll be honest, he started getting into weird, like, action films, Mm -hmm. drama action films. And honestly, I think his last greatest piece, even though I can't say for sure because I haven't seen his latest work, I feel like is Cemetery Man. I I feel like that is Michelle Sobe. Um, But do you remember the bus wreck in the movie? Yeah. I don't know if you caught this. Like, I, I've seen this movie, and years ago, I, like, paused and, like, watched the frame for frame, like, one, you know, scanning it forward a little bit at a time. But there was a flash before they hit the motorcyclists, and you see a nun on the bus with, like, some kids, and then there's, like, a male bus driver, and they, like, scream as they go over the cliff and hit the fucking motorcyclist, right? Well, if you pay attention, when they come back to life... You see that the the bus driver's head is in the outfit of the nun. Yes, I did pick up on that. And the and the, and the Scaleriano or Scaleriano or no no the the Knots guy. What's his name? Knox. Uh, Mickey Knox. Mickey Knox. Who plays Marshall Straniero? He talks about how they had to sew the heads back on, and they didn't know what parts went with what. Yes. So that totally makes sense. Yes. Um, it was excellent. I'm which so I'll get into more detail out. because that's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just thought it was interesting if you guys haven't noticed that 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 the heads are switched. I totally am so glad you picked. They pointed that out. Actually, <laughs> that I didn't know. No, that's just something I knew. That's like so that, cool. I didn't. They no, didn't I'm, point it out. No, I'm glad you did. Yeah. That's what I'm saying because I noticed that I picked up on that, but I was kind of hoping like that we'd be able to talk about it. So right. And you know what's really interesting about this whole story in particular about Delamorte Delamore, which is what it's really known for. Cemetery Man is just the U.S. version's name, but essentially Delamorte Delamore is truer to the 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 idea, the story, right. the idea, and where it came from. Uh, interesting story on this is the guy who created this, the original novelist, the Tiziano Sclavi. Sorry, guys. I'm not trying to be cool. I'm just trying to say it respectfully. Uh, But that guy, Tiziano Sclavi, wrote Delamorte Delamore. He was the writer of a comic book, which I mentioned earlier, called Dylan Dog, which is hugely popular and somewhat edgy. 
but not too dark. It was almost kind of like Hellblazer, or uh, if you've ever read that comic a little bit, it's just kind of weird and quirky a little bit and fun. But a lot of the kids liked it, and so did Sovi. Sovi loved it. He actually looked him, he called information to ask for that guy's number. And literally, he said within about two minutes, he found his name, found his number, called him up, and they had a talk on the phone um, for quite a while. And he said, I just want to compliment you. I really love your work. I think it's amazing. I'm a director, Michelle Sovi, and I wanted you to da-da-da-da-da-da. And they knew each other, and they became friends over numerous phone calls. And so they sat down one time, and he goes out there after a second time meeting him, he said. And he met up with uh, Sklavi. And Sklavi was like, well, I I have this manuscript. He's like, because Sovi really wanted to direct a Dylan dog movie, like, badly. Like, that was his... He was so moved by his work, he wanted to direct a movie for him. So Sklavi was like, well, I have this 400-page manuscript of something I wrote other than that. And it ended up being Delamorte Delamore. Well, when Sovi first read it, he didn't really get it because he was dead set on the Dylan dog thing. Mm -hmm. He thought it was a little too dark. He didn't really understand the humor. So he just kind of like set it aside. Didn't think much of it. Well, that manuscript turned into a novel, (laughs) Delamorte, Delamorte, and then it turned into a comic book. And as it got bigger, the screenplay writer known as uh, Gianni Romali took interest in both of those and started writing his own version of the his a screenplay using some of the Dylan Dog kind of feel for it, as well as some of the Delamorte, Delamore scenes in the comic book and stuff. He read all the books. He read all the, like, Dylan Dog comics. And, like, one month, he took off an entire month, didn't even leave the house, and then wrote this screenplay and showed it to Michelle Sovi. And Michelle Sovi was like, okay, this is getting really popular, so maybe I should, mm-hmm. you know, take on this. And it was a good thing that he did because it really is one of his best films, uh, to date, it's his, one of his biggest films. But uh, they started to work on this film, and he made a couple of like changes. But the the guy Romali actually wrote this in like 15 days, the screenplay. And other than the few touches that Sovi made to change it up a little bit to make it flow a little bit more, they were all about it, and it was just like bam. So they worked on it. But long before the movie was even made, the comic of the Delamorte Delamore, the actual comic after the novel, was based on the visage of Rupert Everett. So the character in Francesco Delamorte was based off Rupert Everett. Rupert Everett did not know what he looked like was being used in a comic. He's the vision. Right. So when they came time to pick who they were going to fucking cast for this movie, they were like, well, Rupert Everett. Because <laughs> like, there's nobody else, and Rupert Everett loved it and wanted to do it. And this is before he got big in America with like My Best Friend's Wedding. My Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah, which is like one of the big ones that he got like really famous for. The movie's fantastic. You know the Ossery? In the movie where they he takes Anna Falci into the thing and that whole funny scene with that. That was actually a real ossery. It had real bones and those real bones that the set decorator took home mm-hmm. to try to make copies of. Haunted as fuck. He said it was <laughs> like it haunted him and they like not everybody believes him necessarily, yeah. but the set designer was Antonella Glenig. Glen Elg, I believe. I don't know if I'm Glen Elglia or something. I, they kind of cut off. <laughs> yeah, he's, he said he was haunted by an angry spirit. 
Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so that's we brought it back. Weird translation there, oh, but nope. <laughs> like, a violent spirit that raped him. Yeah, he's like, never mind. Gonna... <laughs> the bones the... started fucking me. I'm up with the sun back. Sorry, <laughs> the bones started boning him. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they they used that that real thing. They ended up using like fake skeletons. Some like they used real skeletons, but they made fake ones. They used roots, fake roots, tree roots to kind of try to fill it in. And they said, oh, yeah. that, you know, over time it kind of looked like a bigger set. But they also built the set on a cemetery, like in a, yep. a desecrated, abandoned fucking cemetery. And they shot this all in the middle of the cold for like months, a couple yeah. of months. And everybody would like all the naked scenes and uh, shit like that. that. They are dying. She said it was like cold as fuck. Yeah, but you can't tell. So good on them. Right. And, and the movie was only supposed to be shot in eight weeks, but it ended up being 11 weeks. And she said that they were working like 15 hour days. I believe it. So it's a long movie. It is, but yeah, but like nine hours sleep and then you gotta get back to work. So it's like seven hours sleep at most, and then get up, go, go to work. Time to go. Time to go. Well, you're getting paid, so whatever. Uh last thing I wanted to mention though is that did you know that Rupert Everett wanted to make a remake? Oh, you guys recently? When he got big in the United States, like shortly a couple of years later, he was like, you know what? We should do a remake hmm. and I'll star in it again. Mm-hmm. But it'll be a United States American version with English, more English than oh, just subtitle. Okay. They were gonna get a bigger budget, but apparently Sophie said it kind of fell through. So uh, apparently, be- partially because like the movie didn't do so well over here in America. Yeah, and I'm okay with him not doing that. They said it was probably even though it did like amazing in Italy, people in America were confused whether it was a comedy or a horror. Right, because we're kind of stupid. I guess. Like, I don't know why, like, Dead Alive and Brain Dead can make it through, but this can't. There's a lot of shit that I'm confused as to why this makes it, but movies like this don't. So I, I don't know. I, I don't. I think it involves too much thought process. Right. Well, what are some of your favorite scenes? Since I've been talking my ass off here. Uh, okay. Then we'll close up. Then we'll close up shop. I don't know if I want to get into like my favorite favorite scene. I feel like it's a little too early for me to discuss that part because it's a little bit towards like the middle to end. Well, do you have any other scenes that I poked out at yes. you? Maybe. Um. Well, the opening scene's fantastic. Which one? The opening scene is fucking glorious. First of all, so in the first like couple minutes of this movie, like you see, it opens basically with Rupert Everett and in his little house. Oh yeah, cemetery right, and there's a he's just making sandwiches, killing things. He's just chilling. And not making a, sandwiches literally, I just mean a, there's a knock on his door and he just like opens the door and there's like this it seemingly looks like a businessman, whatever, kind of like standing there. He's in a nice suit, whatever. He's kinda got this grayish pallor to him, so he looks a little awkward, but you don't think too much of it. And then it pans to the camera goes behind this char- this character at the door and it's looking directly at Rupert, so this guy's you know, side of his head and his ear are kind of like out of focus. But then they kind of go in focus and you see like a bug. Little ant. Like a little bug crawling on his ear. And then all of a sudden, you see in the foreground, he puts up this gun, this little pistol, and fucking shoots him in the head. While he's on the phone. While he's on the phone with his little friend. Yeah. And it's... His friend did the, I don't know if he's the reporting, recording office or the, like the. Yeah, their, their relationship's a little unique and uh, it's different. Weird. We'll get into that a little bit more Which towards my, the end. Which my, one of my, my favorite, favorite, favorite scene is later and involves that character. Sure. 
Um, that's why I don't I was like, oh, I don't want to get into that right off the bat. But I love that. It's so okay. cool. Like that's the first like three minutes of the movie, and that's it. Kind of gives you the tone it, of the film. It definitely does. And he just yeah. like shoots this dude, like this guy in the fucking head, and just goes about his day. Like yeah, nothing. it's it's like the uh, it, it, for you that aren't in a in America, we used to have these. Uh, we have these shops out here called Dunkin' Donuts, and it's a donut shop, and. They used to have this commercial, and it would be like, and for all you young bucks out here, <laughs> uh, they used to have this commercial, and it would be like, time to make the donuts. Like, it was just an average day, and he was waking up, and it was like, time to make the donuts. That's what he's doing. He's just like, whatever, I've done this a million times. I'm so used to it. Well, my ex used to describe taking a shit as. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's making donuts. Is that like, what you're saying? Yeah. No, my ex used to say that. He'd be like, it's time to make donuts. And then he'd go fucking take a shit for two hours. Uh, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? It's making bread. Yeah. I'm like, you're disgusting. Breaking loaf. Breaking logs. <laughs> uh, I think one of my favorite scenes, I mean, there's there's quite a few. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, yeah. One of mine is probably towards the end, too. Yep. So I don't want to mention that. But there is one. I'll, I'll just name off two little quick ones. When they go to the ossery, she's like, you know, you've got a real nice ossery. Uh, so, like, you know, you know. Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. She's got a real nice dick. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> well, no, ass. All right, That's what she's making a oh, comment ass. at. Dick. Why is it always going to be my dicks? My brain goes dick, Alex. Yeah, well, okay? I go ass because it sounds like ossery ass. I get ass, it. Ass, ossery. Just dick. Jesus Christ. Dickery. You got fucking nuts and bolts up in your mouth and shit, like fucking in your mind. I mean, got sorry. Dicks in my mouth. You got, you got, I got nuts, nuts and bolts in my mouth. You got nuts and bolts all up in your head. Like, yeah. I'm saying I'm stupid. Dicks. No, that's not what I mean. Um, I thought it was really funny before they, uh, after, you know, the bus wreck and the, the, the motorcycle wreck and everything. They're like, never should have ever gone on the Boy Scouts picnic. Never should have ever, never gone just then. Never should I ever gone out on the Boy Scouts picnic. Never should I ever, should I gone just then. But they, and in that whole scene, when they come back to life early, and all the scouts are like in the basement in Nagi's room, and they're like, Oh yeah, like biting their teeth, yes. and it was just like so like uncomfortable. It looked <laughs> it cool lit. though. It did look cool with that noise. <laughs> they all had like these unique characteristics. Like yeah, that's did. what I liked about some of the characters because, and I mean, they're not as strong as something like Brain Dead or Dead Alive that I keep mentioning in this past couple episodes. Yeah, for some should reason. we do this or something? I guess. I no, I've like... already did it for my birthday. Yeah, but you did. But they're not as strong as those type of zombies. But they're still very strong characters. Oh yeah, in, in themselves. Their own ways. Yeah, they're very unique, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So I do have another one that I can bring up. Okay. It's pretty short. Um, there was a scene where the there was Claudio. Oh, Claudio. Claudio. Claudio, take me with you. Yeah, I loved her accent, actually. Oh, I do, too. So there's this part where, like, you know, you see the mayor's daughter go off with Claudio. They, he gets in the car accident when the with the bus and the accident and everything like that. But at the funeral, there's this fucking girl who's just fucking bubbling after him and just wanting it like she misses him and she's like really upset even though the mayor's daughter's dead and she's like he was mine he loved me Claudio take me with you Claudio (laughs) so she comes up to Rupert Everett's character Francesco Della Morte and she says is it true you know that the the dead come back to life at night and he's like where the fuck did you hear that shit (laughs) like I would have wanted to know too like how the fuck did you know that shit right 
Right. Anyway, so she comes back that night, and then he comes popping out of the fucking grave on a motorcycle. But the that's cool and all. Awesome. And his head's, like, exploded. You see, like, the helmet's still on his head, and the top's, like, blown out. He's got, like, a screw in his head and a blinker in his eyeball. And, like, it's pretty cool. It but, cool. like, she's begging for him. And then she hugs the front of his tire she rubs her face with the mud all over her face and he reaches down and grabs her and then Rupert Everett goes to chase after them because he doesn't know what's going on and he can't let this thing escape. So when he goes in there and she's like, he's Claudio, leave me be. He's just eating me. He's Claudio. I love him. <laughs> it's like, what so the me. fuck? He's just eating me. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. You crazy bitch. Crazy bitch. <laughs> I'm like, I swear. Jesus. Fucking Jesus Christ. It was awesome. And then he kills her. And it's I great. thought that was really funny. It was I, was I was fun. dying. I was laughing so fucking hard. Okay, so I remembered. Okay. So I, I, I have two little, little quick ones before we get into the big the big meat moment. That's great. I loved the part with the actual Grim Reaper. Oh, okay. Like when he comes up Talks and he's just him. like, stop killing the dead. They're mine. Right. If and you're really bored, start killing, killing the, the living. living. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Like, it was cool, but he looks so fucking tits. Right. Like, he just looks really, really, really interesting, and I don't know. But how that all came together with the ashes That from whole the, scene is dope. Because it's like, it's like it manifests from the pages of the phone book that Nagi acts, throws he away. Burns, he, right. he burns. Yeah. It was a really cool transition. It was cool, because he reads, it's the Teledex or whatever is yeah. it is called. He reads these old Teledexes, and he actually goes through, and he crosses off people's names as they're buried in the cemetery. That come back to life. Which is cool. That he kills the second time. Yeah. So he crosses off their names and he keeps all these old teledexes and then Nagi, you know, burns a bunch of them and he gets really upset about it. Uh, but then from the ashes, yeah. nah, that's all he says. But then from the ashes of this, like spawns this beautiful Grim Reaper who, you know, says these very few words to him, but it's really, really cool. How it how it's done? I don't know. I loved it. I, I thought that was interesting. And yeah, that, no, I like that The very that few scene lines too. that he had were really like poignant. Well, it's real surreal at that point it's super because you're kind of like trying to figure out this, like yeah that love and death connection. Yeah, which was interesting because even though you're dealing with people coming back to life and zombies, this was that first moment of holy shit. I think he might be losing his damn mind. You know, like this yeah. is when you kind of really start to see his character unravel. Right. A bit. Well, and that's also where the death thing is letting him know that there is no difference between the, the living that are going to die and the dead that are already living. Yeah. Are now living. It was really cool. So it's, it is pretty interesting. Um, other the, Another scene that I really love, and I'll try to make this as quick as I can, guys. Nagi, who is Rupert Everett, uh, Francesco Della Morte's little servant, Pretty much treats him like shit, treats him like kind of like a dog, really. Yeah. But he loves his dog, right? Like, there's this love, like, best friendship kind of thing. There's because camaraderie there. Yeah, because he's an outcast and so is Nagi. But he accepts him because he's a fuck up and a, and a weird piece of shit. And he's the only one that accepts him. <laughs> weird piece of shit. Um, but Nagi digs up the head of the mayor's daughter. 
He pulls her head out and he's like all excited. He crawls around like all cute around the tombstone after he digs her up. And she's like, oh, hello, it's you, the one that threw up on me. Yeah. How could I forget a cutie like you? And he's like, he goes to kiss her and she kind of reels her head back a little bit, her neck, because she's just a head. She's a disembodied head sitting on the ground. And you see her kind of pull back as he tries to kiss her. And she's like, well, go ahead. I'm certainly in no position to refuse. Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden, Nagi starts playing the violin, and the head starts following her, him. Yeah, that was so weird. <laughs> I'm all, this is just a head. How is it following? First of all, how is it following Well, her? the song is kind of catchy. Yeah. A little yeah. bit. And then later, it like launches out. I don't know. I was like, this, this is just a head. How is it right. powers? But whatever. Um, <laughs> Which I, I feel like our big favorite scene is collectively the same but I I, I will talk about one more thing that I really loved was when he's trying to convince the doctor to cut off his dick (laughs) oh yeah that is pretty fucked up fucking hilarious right that whole exchange between the two of them is is great please don't make me do this please don't make me do this and but then he comes at him with these weird like Tim Burton shears right you know and he fucking drops them and then he like comes back up with this big fucking syringe full of this green liquid. Thank God. Right? And then he's just like, and the whole time you're like, why would you do this, you crazy motherfucker? Yeah, because, yeah. Well, and it's it's a long story to is. explain, but he sees all the women he meets remind him of his ex. Yeah. Who he accidentally killed. Right. And there's this rumor that he's impotent. She was the perfect one. Right. Like, and he accidentally killed her because everything that dies comes back to life. Well, he killed her and he realizes that he killed her. So he feels this like weird, morbid sense of guilt. Yes. And so every girl that he meets, I don't even think they're the same girl, really. No, I think it's just he, what he envisions. Yeah. yeah. Because they remind him of her. And so they, they progressively get worse and dis- more distant and more distant. And, and the, the, the second girl he meets reminds him of her. But she only likes an impotent man, even though he's not impotent. And everybody thinks he's impotent. Because she's scared of penetration. Right. And And so he uh... tries to fucking get his dick cut off. Like, that's some fucking dedication, ladies. Yeah. And then this whole... Ladies, man, if a dude's ready to cut his dick off for you, you know he's a keeper. Put a ring on it. Put a ring on it and then put it in an institution. Uh, But yeah. Um, but the, the, everything that progresses from that scene was a lot of just throwaway stuff to me. I didn't feel like it was important. It was just kind of why, but it's funny. It is. Well, yeah, it's really awkward. It's funny and it's awkward, but that's what I'm saying. It's got that like style and humor of I like just, brain dead or dead, yeah. dead alive a little but bit. But that, that little bit, even though it was hilarious, doesn't feel necessary. But anyways, so shall we talk about our favorite scene in this entire movie? Because I feel like we have the same one. Okay. So are we talking about the scene where Rupert... Francesco Della Morte goes to meet his accountant friend or his recorder friend who he met earlier in the whole thing. Well, this is in this who is keeps after, stealing all his kills. This is after he supposedly he just set fire to the apartment, killing those girls. And right. Then, yeah, the inspector guy comes and visits him, and then he said they have somebody in jail and he or in the hospital or whatever. And yeah. He goes and he sees his friend. To give yeah. you guys kind of a little bit of a basis, like if you have not seen this or you're following along, the synopsis is. Essentially, Rupert Everett's character, Francesco Della Morte, gets really tired of life because it keeps failing him. And he's also very tired of death because it keeps following him. So he gets into this weird, I'm going to fuck with reality kind of mode and starts killing people. Like there's one scene where he just goes on a murder killing spree 
And then they blame all of this on his buddy who was trying to help him from the beginning. Right. Who he thinks is stealing his thing, but it's like, you're not sure if it's being covered up by death or whatever. And this is the American Psycho Connect, where it's very similar in that respect. Yes. Um, but yeah, he goes in to see his friend who is in a coma. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, he goes in to see his friend that's in a coma and then he's sitting there trying to talk to him and a nun comes in. Right. And she's basically, I don't know if she's asking him why he's there or she how was he like, gets there or whatever. She said, uh, put that out immediately. Oh, There's no smoking in here. He's smoking, right. And then he just turns around and fucking shoots her in the head. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. Like, you just see all this, like, blood shoot onto the, like, the curtain behind her. Right. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> the fuck is going on like shit just goes bananas and then the point. doctor comes in and the doctor annoys him oh, so he, he shoots sh- the doctor he in the head shut the fuck up or whatever and he just shoots him and then the another nurse comes in and she's like what did you just do and he's like you didn't see that right yeah, they shot each other they shot each yeah. other he went crazy and he says you believe that right and she's like no, no. and he shoots her <laughs> And then he walks out, and this is my favorite thing right here. This is my favorite part. The character played by Mickey Knox as Marshall Straniero, he's the the cop. He's essentially the inspector, the detective, or whatever in this area. He goes, he's walking up this flight of stairs as Rupert Everett is leaving the scene with a gun in his hand, and he's like, oh my God, somebody's killed the fucking people upstairs. And he was like, you got a gun. Good. Now you can protect yourself. It's like, I love it. He you was, can't lose. He can't like, lose. They're at it again. There's a killer on the fourth floor. He's like, oh, great. You have a gun. You can protect yourself. This is perfect. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. And then this gloriously climactic moment of where he's like, it was me. Like, he just admits to everything and screams it at the top of his lungs. Right. And that's it. That's it. Like, he just cuts away to that and he just walks out. And goes back. I'm like, oh, what? that's right. Yeah, because no one's around at that no moment. One's like no one's there. No one's like all this happenstance. It's like nothing he can do. He can't do anything right. He can't win. He can't fall in love. He can't do anything right. Nothing ever works for him. But in the same respect, he can't lose by getting caught or anything else. Yeah. Like he's just forced into this par- like this world. This uh, what would they call it when you're in between heaven and hell? Limbo. Limbo. He's in limbo, essentially, between heaven and hell. He can't love. He can't die. He can't, you know, he just can't escape. He's, He's a prisoner, and it's really kind of... He's like in his own weird purgatory. Right. And I and that's what I really love about this movie. But do you have any final thoughts about it? This is a incredible film from start to finish, I feel like. Yeah. I don't know. I It's a really cool concept, a really cool story. It's something that I haven't really seen done ever. It's very original, um, and it's worth your fucking time. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. This was suggested to me, actually, by Alex and my husband both, who love this movie. Right. And I went into it going, okay, it sounds cool, right? And then started it and went, this is getting real fucking weird. <laughs> and it got real fucking weird. And it was like kind of unnecessarily weird, but it all kind of ties together and makes sense in the end. And um, we'll definitely get into We're going to talk about the end after we give our quick final thoughts. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit more in depth than uh, you think it's going to get. I definitely think it's a, it's a pretty... Uh, I, I've said pretty much a lot about this film. I think it's a good film. It's not a movie that I always want to pop on all the time. It's not... 
perfect or anything like that, but it is very unique. And there are some really entertaining moments in this movie that it carries the the story and just it's just fun. Like, I don't know. It's fun. It's also deep in some respects. It is. I don't know how deep it really gets, but um, let's talk about the ending, though. Yeah. The very end, guys. If you don't want to hear this, you probably should be listening anyway, but... Yeah, I've ruined most of it anyways. Yeah, you're fucked. Um, (laughs) So, he decides that he wants to leave. Escape death, love, everything. Yeah, he he wants to go, right? He wants to see what's beyond the end of this city that they live in. Yeah, it's this town's fault now. Right. now, Yeah, now it's the whole town. So, you know, he gets in the car, and he takes Nyagi with him. Right. And they speed off... And which is hilarious because they almost clipped this like bicycle guy or whatever. And he's like, oh, don't worry. I'll get the next one or I won't miss the next yeah. one. And I was like, <laughs> he's oh, just Jesus. angry. Yeah. And Yagi's just like, ah, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they get to they go through this big like tunnel and he sees that the edge of the world basically like cuts off into this big like chasm like there's nothing there. Yeah. And so he slams on the brakes. Yagi ends up getting hurt. He hits his head on the window or the door frame splits or, his, or, head splits wide his head open. wide yeah. open. Yeah. And um, they like get out of the car, and he goes and he sees that it ends. Like there's nothing yeah, it's there, like a just cliff. Like, this cliff of like to, into this like open abyss, right? Like that's all there. That's all there is for him. And they like he, it's like, kind of a climactic moment essentially when he realizes like that's it. Right. There's and then Nagi else. gets out of the car, lays on, he passes out again. I think. Well, he yeah, because he right. gets out of the car, he he falls down, and then he's he just like seizes. you hear his voice, you hear Francesco Della Morte's voice talking about, I guess this is what I deserve, sort of thing, and he's like, I thought that there would be more, and there isn't, and it's almost like, I mean, I have my theories on what this means, but then Nagi wakes up and he's like, starts instead, like the whole movie, Nagi's like, yeah, yeah. There's a better, like, a more in depth part before that, actually. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, um, which. Like, intrigued me quite a bit, but they he thinks Nagi dies because he like kind of seizes and he you know, stops responding or whatever, and he, so he thinks he dies, and then he admits that he's his best friend. Right, he thought he was above his friend because yes. he was like a dog to him. Yeah, but then he realizes that he was really the only thing that stuck by his side, like love or death. Exactly. In the end, and end up dying. And it's really it's really cool. And then he takes and he loads his gun with two bullets, and it's almost like this look at the flowers moment right <laughs> you know i yeah. don't know which i love that you look at the flowers look at the pretty flowers you know like it's kind of this moment you know and he he points the gun at nagi's head and he's gonna kill him finish him off or make sure you know when he comes back alive because he thinks he's dead that he's gonna finish it right, right. And he's gonna kill himself but he ends up not doing it and then nagi not- takes the fucking gun throws he wakes it up yeah. yeah he throws it into the cliff he hasn't said a word yet and then all of a sudden instead of saying yeah he says oh can you take me home? Like, clear as day. And fucking Rupert Everett's character, Francesco Della Morte, is like, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And I don't understand that part. That's a little confusing. It was, but it was cool. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, it, it totally is. I, I mean, I think it's what they were trying to say is that he was no better than his best friend. Yeah, that's kind and of... And that all along that he was treating him like the scum, but really he's just as bad as him kind of thing. They're equal. Yeah, like they're equal. Yeah, that's what that's what I my takeaway from it was. And I mean, if anybody has a more in-depth idea or, or um, feeling but about that. But before that, I mean, I think it's more about like the whole story besides that part, that specific part, is that you cannot escape love, life, or death. It just is. 
Right. It's about a man who just wants to escape his pain of living, of all three of those things, living, love, death. And when he finally brings him to reality is that the world is the same as he tried to escape in the small town, that it was all the same no matter what. Like, you can't escape life. We're all going to die the same. We're all going to take this ride, so try to enjoy it as well as you can. Right. Essentially. Uh, but I again, I'm not 100% sure why the fuck he said, yeah, at the end. So yeah, I don't know. I've, what do you guys think about that, by the way? Yeah, sound off and give us your opinions, because I'm curious to see what you think. Yeah, I'm dying to know. Like, Literally inquiring dying. minds want to know. Inquiring minds. <laughs> but. but I know we've talked your ears off this week. Um, I think uh, I think we're pretty much done with that. Uh, the movie is 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 worth seeing, I think, if you're open to weirdness. If you can just enjoy weirdness, you can enjoy gore, you can enjoy weird humor. You're going to find something in this movie that you'll like. I feel, I feel like it's one of those movies where maybe it's not the perfect film for you, but it will you will find something that you will like in this movie one way or another. Yeah. Because it's just this mixed match of weird shit that you're going to find something you like about it. Big, and something that you love. Yeah, it's a big hodgepodge of a bunch of different ideas and concepts. It's really cool. Right. And, and it may not be as deep as maybe we went into it but that's what we get from it that's our thoughts maybe maybe it wasn't but i mean i'm definitely interested in reading dylan dog i'm curious to see what that's all about i know that i watched the movie the dead of night or whatever yeah and then they made a tv series apparently just in 2016 or 2017 they're coming up with Mm -hmm. i haven't seen that either so i'm kind of curious about that so I'm, i'm interested in the writer i don't know how deep he goes but i don't know so what do you guys think about it though what do you think about the end do you feel like this is it now if you had to pick between these two movies as your favorite what would you say cemetery man as much as i fucking as much as i love zombie yeah as much as i'm deep throating fulci all the time me too i fucking would have to go with cemetery man just because it's a little bit more unique it's not a simplistic thing yes and pure entertainment value it's completely two different categories as far as type of movie in a way i mean it is horror both of them but i just feel like the cemetery man's just probably a little bit more entertaining Agreed. zombies a classic approach definitely something that you'll pop in but cemetery man that's one that you should probably watch more often, I think. And you can watch more often. And it's no, like, it feels weird for me to say that because, like, I'm a huge Fulci fan. Yeah, but still, <laughs> so, I mean, you, you and I both have said it's not our favorite of the Fulci films. True. So, but still, I don't know. Just I the just, one film, guys. Don't fucking kill us, Pure right? entertainment factor, Cemetery Man wins. Yeah. Sorry. No, but thank you guys so much for stopping by this week. We will be bringing you another episode Uh, Well, obviously next Monday when we do that. I love this shit and I want to continue to love this shit because I want you guys to love this shit with us. Right? Yes. Anyway, thank you guys for stopping by. We'll see you next week. Stay weird, monsters. monsters.